Hello and welcome once again to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, I'm pastor of faith. We're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America based out of Shelton, Washington. Thanks so much for tuning in. Chaz, my producer guy, is having technical difficulties this weekend, so you might have noticed that the ditty sounded a little bit different today. Pray for his computer and pray for us all. Well, today is the 73rd wedding anniversary of Bob and Thelma Pune, members of faith. 73 years. Woohoo! Happy anniversary. God bless you both. You know, I visited with them a few days ago, a delightful, gracious pair. I asked them the secret to 73 years of marriage. Bob looked at me and said two words, yes, dear. Thelma smiled. She said, you just have to have a sense of humor. If you know the Punes, I hope you can stop by the church at noon on the 27th to say hello and to wish them a happy anniversary. You know, the Bible has some things to say about marriage, too, and about our lives together as husbands and wives, parents and children, church members and citizens. So please grab a Bible, and we're first going to look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus gets quizzed about divorce. And then we're going to take a a look at Philippians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it clearly describes what God is like and how we are called to live together in God's name. I'll leave you with a few takeaways and tools for healthier relationships. As always, a transcript of this podcast as well as worship and study resources are available at our website www.faithshelton.org. Well, before we dive in, let's pray. Eternal God, our Creator and Redeemer, as you gladdened the wedding at Cana in Galilee by the presence of your Son, so by his presence now, Bring joy to our marriages. Look in favor upon all wives and husbands and grant that they, rejoicing in all your gifts, may at length celebrate with Christ the marriage feast which has no end. Amen. A reading from Matthew chapter 19. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Then some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Here ends the reading. Now, whenever you read any of the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you notice that tensions build between Jesus and the religious leaders, often referred to as Pharisees or scribes or teachers of the law. Here in Matthew 19, 
Jesus is holding a press conference and the opposition leaders want to trip him up to get a soundbite that they can use against him. And so they choose the dicey moral issue of divorce. Now, technically, divorce was allowed in the law of Moses. It says so in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 24. And so if Jesus opposes divorce, they could accuse him of opposing Moses. And if he supports divorce, then they can leverage his words to justify unfair treatment of women. I suspect that they were still seething and stewing about that whole let he who is without sin cast the first stone episode recorded in John chapter 8. Well, Jesus knows a trap when he hears one, so he redirects the topic away from divorce and toward marriage. He quotes Genesis 1 and 2. Everyone, he says, regardless of gender, is created in the image of God. It's not good for a person to be alone. So God created us to be helpers to one another, to be attracted to one another, to pair off, to move out of our parents' basement, share a special hug, and start families of our own. The two will become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. Is divorce a thing? Sure. Divorce happens. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. But sometimes, because of human frailty or infidelity, we need it. And that's why Moses allowed it, but Moses never commanded it. The Pharisees curl their mustaches, muttering curses, foiled again. And the disciples listen to this back and forth about divorce and infidelity and adultery, and they wonder out loud if marriage is worth it. If this is the situation, maybe it's better not to marry at all. And Jesus gives a less than ringing endorsement, saying, well, it ain't for everybody. But marriage is for many of us. And the Christian tradition has always sought to lift up marriage as a gift from God. It's a good thing. It's a way to order society to be fruitful and multiply. It's the cultural form of marriage over the centuries that has been inconsistent and sometimes problematic. In the Old Testament of the Bible, they're leery of foreign wives, but they don't bat an eye at marrying your cousin or two sisters or having 700 wives and 300 female slaves. Just ask King Solomon. Now, by the time of the New Testament, we generally get it down to one wife at a time, but women are still seen as second-class citizens' property to be used and discarded. It has taken the Holy Spirit centuries to move us closer to a truly biblical recognition that all people, regardless of gender, are created in God's image, and that marriage is between two people equally glorious, equally reflecting the image of God. I'd say marriage is still evolving, really. Think about it. Interracial marriages, interfaith marriages, even a generation ago, were often taboo. Inbreeding is discouraged nowadays, and polygamy is rare. <laughs> we don't arrange marriages too often anymore. That's probably a good thing. Divorce is still hard, but we seem to have more overall compassion for folks for whom a marriage just didn't work. People cohabit together now, often for years before having some sort of a ceremony. Nowadays, the big debate over marriage seems to be uh, marriage between two people who do not fit traditional gender stereotypes. Who knows, maybe gender will go the way of race as being not as much of a distinction between people as we used to think it was. Or maybe not. 
The topic calls for honest and humble study of Scripture, figuring out how Genesis 1 and 2 fit together and how they don't. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I think these are really good questions. What is clear in the Bible is that marriage is a central metaphor for understanding how God relates to humanity. On the cross, God in Christ bound himself to us. God made an oath of fidelity and devotion, uh, a choice of love, a sign of faithfulness and devotion. It's not good for a person to be alone, so God in Christ becomes a suitable helper for the human race, leaving the Father cleaving to the human race, and the two, the divine and the mortal, become one flesh. Talk about a mixed marriage. Jesus is the great bridegroom. And you and me, the descendants of Eve and Adam, are the bride. The last day, the day of Christ's return to judge the living and the dead, it's compared in Revelation chapter 19 to the wedding of the Lamb. Christ is standing there in a tuxedo at the altar, and the church is walking down the aisle dressed in white, the Father handing her over to the faithful and devoted Son. In one of Paul's letters, Ephesians, Paul calls on husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you want to know what a Christian husband looks like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like Philippians chapter 2. That's the next passage we're going to take a look at, so open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it, and I have five brief comments about it. Paul writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Paul writes, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, a few comments about Philippians chapter 2. First of all, my wife Brenda and I selected this passage to be read at our wedding 31 years ago. It describes the kind of attitudes and behaviors that we both valued and that we both wanted to practice in our relating to each other as wife and husband. We literally want to be Christ both toward one another in our marriage relationship, but also in our relating with others. This is similar to what Martin Luther had, had said when he said that Christians were called to be little Christs in the world. Second, any efforts we make are a result of and in response to the gospel. 
what God has done for us. So my behaviors stem from the encouragement that I have received, the comfort I have experienced, the compassion and tenderness, the tender mercies of our God that I have been shown. Another way Paul puts this is in another one of his letters, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to be Christ to one another, to do this in response to and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit given to me. Third, Paul gives us here one of the clearest images of the true nature of God. Philippians chapter 2 is known as the Christ hymn, and it shows how God is embodied in Jesus Christ that the greatness and divinity of God is revealed as suffering, sacrifice, obedience, self-emptying. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? True strength, true godliness, true perfection is compassion, tenderness, submission, obedience, sacrifice. What is the key to 73 years of marriage? Two words, yes, dear. The fourth thing that I would say here is that this is not a passage about shame or about passively receiving abuse from your partner. People will take the language of humility and say, well, you just need to put up with it. Christians are to practice humility because Jesus did. Christians practice humility not because we are needy, but because we have everything we need. Not because we are weak, but because we are strong. Not because we are miserable humans, but because we are gloriously made in the image of God. And anyone who would use this or any other passage of Scripture to subject any precious child of God to abuse or shame is no true Christian and will know the wrath of God. If you are in, a, in an abusive relationship, O oh listener, it is not your fault. It is not your cross to bear. Get out and get help. And the fifth thing that I'd say that this passage powerfully articulates is the reality that the gospel, the cross, is radically inclusive. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Salvation is not just for some, but God's vision is that not one of these little ones be lost. You, listener, are one for whom Christ died, and, and each one of us is wise and is wise to see that each person that we meet is one for whom Christ died. See, we're not only called to be Christ to others, we're also called to see Christ in others, right? Not just to be Christ to others, but also to see Christ in others. I love the prayer uh, of St. Patrick. He didn't actually write it, I don't think, but, but it's attributed to him. And he says, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. Let me end today's message with four takeaways about marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a lot of work. Marriage isn't for everyone. And marriage is always changing. First, marriage is a good thing. Today we celebrate the 73rd wedding anniversary of Bob and Thelma because, wow, it's just cool. And while I'm at it, I'm going to shout out to some other longtime couples at Faith Lutheran. 
Members of the 60-year or more club include David and Barbara at 67. Doug and Marilyn have made it 64 years. Guy and Joe have made it 63. Toby and Pat, Don and Joanne have made it 62 years. Warren and Darlene have celebrated 61 years of marriage. Jerry and Polly, Todd and Tiger have made it 60 years. John and Kathy are aiming to make it 60 in December. If I missed someone, I apologize. The point is this. It's a big deal. Thank you. Thank you for your fidelity, your example. And if Thelma is right, thank you for your enduring sense of humor. Second, and uh, marriage is a lot of work. As I've been working on this sermon this week, Brenda and I have been sort of off kilter a little bit in our own relationship. It's not the first time. It won't be the last. We'll figure it out. But there is no such thing as an easy marriage. The pandemic is forcing couples to either spend more time or less time together. Finances are even tighter, and so is the living space. And kids? Homeschooling? Are you kidding me? So hang in there, folks. Find ways to be Christ to one another. Get help if things are getting to be too much. Brenda and I have engaged a marriage counselor more than once in our 30 years of marriage together. Try to incorporate daily prayer, highs and lows. Remember that you're not alone. You've got friends, and God's got you. Marriage is a good thing. It's a lot of work. The third thing is marriage isn't for everyone. On average, in the United States, about 48% of the adult population is married, and there are about a million divorces every year. Dozens of members of faith have been widowed in just the last few years. Young people struggle to find wholesome and trustworthy ways to meet and connect. Marriage is a gift, but it's not a requirement. It doesn't define you or justify you or fulfill your purpose in life. True, it's not good for a person to be alone, but it's also true that there are often seasons in our lives when we are alone. If you're having a hard time because of a divorce or prolonged loneliness, you aren't alone. You've got friends, and God's got you. The fourth thing I'd say as a takeaway is that marriage is always changing. Folks, let's be Christ-centered, Bible-believing, a Spirit-led congregation that welcomes every precious child of God and their partners. And let's be a, a community that passionately pursues relationships that honor God and bring joy to God's people. Let's be humble. Let's be hospitable and gracious and curious. Let's stop trying to fix others and fix our eyes on Jesus instead. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's We'll Preach for Food podcast. For information about faith, go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. If this message has touched your heart, and if you just need someone to talk to about faith or hope, or maybe divorce or marriage or loneliness or whatever, please don't hesitate to reach out. Email us at welcomehome at faithshelton.org. You can also listen to or subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or any other way you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, share this message with a friend, consider making a financial gift to Faith Shelton. Thank you, people of faith, for your love and prayers, your ministry in daily life, your financial support, 
and for being Christ to one another and to the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and grant you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.